out of the mouth of babes. Sometimes it's important for us to check in with those who are experiencing everything that we are in life, but from the perspective of future generations. On this episode, Georgia and I engage with two students from the Arts Us Center for the African Diaspora about how they are experiencing this moment. Bearing Witness, part of the Racial Reckoning Project, is a reflective dive into the week's events unfolding in this season of racial upheaval and, we hope, change. Each week, we will compare notes from the week's events, connect the dots to past and present experiences and racial patterns in America, and connect with community members from many different perspectives who are themselves trying to make sense of this moment. I'm Anthony Galloway, Executive Director of the Arts Us Center for the African Diaspora. And I'm Georgia Ford, an independent journalist. There's never a dull moment when it comes to being black in America, or really in America, period. We've got a lot of things that are continuing to happen and continuing to remind us that not only do we live in a society where our systemic and overt racist experiences are at play all at all times, but we get reminders over and over again, whether it's somebody making threats against a black family only to have to give their address and have protesters show up at their house to the assassination of the leaders of nations that at one, you know, at one point was a marker for us to learn the first black autonomous nation to, to gain their own independence is struggling in the moment. There's a lot on the table and that's just a tip of the proverbial iceberg. So again, we're going to jump in and get our recap from Miss Georgia and then get a chance later on to check in with youth in our community about how they are bearing witness. Miss Georgia, I know you've been covering a lot and I've been watching a lot of that uh, coverage. What are some of the things that are happening this week that you have been front and center for? Well, it has been a very challenging week, I'll say, uh, with the latest news coming out about the fatal police chase uh, that claimed the life of Darnella Frazier's uncle. You know, I think so many of us in our community were heartbroken when we learned that it was a 17 year old girl who was behind the camera filming George Floyd's murder and that she was accompanied by her nine year old cousin. And then now here you are, fast forward a year later when she should be moving on and and healing from uh, the trauma that she experienced. We heard her on the stand even recount how she felt responsible and how she sees those moments replay through her mind. And now that same police department responsible for claiming the life of her uncle. And so it is yet another reminder that while Derek Chauvin did receive a 22 and a half year sentence in jail, it's just a very small step for the black community. Anthony, you alluded to the anti-black sentiment that is plaguing not just our nation, but globally, this idea that there is anti-blackness embedded in so many different cultures uh, that regardless of what government system, what judicial system, what politicians are in place, it is something that lives within the hearts of so many people. How do we root that out? How do we um, 
how, how do we eliminate that from being passed down to the next generation? And so while I've been covering, yes, the protesting that happened in Mount Laurel after a white neighbor uh, used racial slurs against a black resident, and then now what's happening, what's transpiring here again in Minneapolis with this police chase ending uh, with an innocent bystander being killed. It just is it's a constant reminder of what the larger, deeper issue is at hand. And it's been those layers of nuance that the, the things that that complicate a simple story um, and everybody's been cruising and wanting uh, to 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 break things into simple stories. But we we we, we can't. And the deeper. The, the deeper nuance that's required to understand all the layers in, in the Mount Laurel video, one of the things that, that stood out for me um, was how much, how much the officer involved focused on investigating the family that had made the call when this person was still giving the same threats, giving their address. Um, you know, it, it seemed to me that the focus should have been on the person that was causing the harm and yet I was hearing him question, who lives here? Do you live here? And the same questions that I often encounter when I encounter police officers and, and or police officers have encountered me. Um, and again, this 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 it, it, to me, it underscores what you said around the anti-blackness, right? The that black folks are continually suspect and that we continually give deference uh, to white folks in these similar situations. And and it's problematic for me. Um, let alone the fact that we had a legislative season where we saw a lot of this momentum be thwarted uh, by by those legislative efforts. And so, you know, it, to companion that, that, that anti-blackness, I'm also seeing a deference um, to not just white community spaces, but but deference to the issues that that affect dominant cultures and and bypass the experiences of folks of color. And so it, that pattern is front and center for me from the Mount Laurel all the way to um, uh, the, the reporting I heard around Darnella Frazier's uncle about who the paramedics chose to help. Right. And we were hearing reports that that the paramedics jumped to the aid of the officers involved um, faster than they jumped to to the bystander vehicle that was hit in this high speed chase. And, and so that deference has been front of center for me. Well, and I think that I have received a lot of backlash behind that story, uh, I guess a little bit unexpectedly, uh, but also at the same time, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Uh, a lot of people ridiculing me for not explicitly calling this an accident. Um, and because of the connection between Darnella Frazier, the woman who filmed the murder of George Floyd, and now this is her uncle, by not explicitly calling this an accident. Uh, people are um, accusing me of saying that this is somehow connected. Uh, but at, at the same time, you know, the reality of the officer who made the choice to pursue this vehicle is that was a choice that he made. And whether that choice is backed up by uh, policy by MPD or not is to be determined. They're still investigating that. And so uh, how can I call something an accident when there was a choice that was made? And uh, what we've heard from community leaders, what we've heard from family uh, of um, Laniel Frazier is that they feel this officer made a choice, an explicit choice to value property over people. The person who they were pursuing was not apprehended 
And so this uh, police chase did not result in a victory for the police department. It resulted in a fatality of a beloved community member. This police pursuit did not result in uh, recouping anything that was stolen from any businesses that this uh, suspect was accused of uh, robbing. Right. And so at the end of the day, there was a choice that was made by the individual, the police officer who was driving that vehicle to pursue this car. And within that choice, there was also consent that other people's lives were going to be at danger within this pursuit. That is always at hand when an officer decides to pursue a suspect. And it is, it's one thing if you're pursuing a suspect over murder or violent crimes. Uh, but when you are, uh, pursuing a suspect over robbery or property damage, you're taking a huge risk uh, when you think about the fact that you're putting people's lives at stake. And in this case, we saw Darnella uh, Frazier's uncle killed. His life is gone. Um, and so was it worth it? And I think that uh, as we move forward and we're looking at police accountability, Anthony, as you you said, we thought that George Floyd's death was going to result in this huge, massive police reform overhaul, whether it was defund, abolish or reform, like wherever on the spectrum, we really thought that there was going to be huge changes. But here we are and we are revisiting the very policy that Mayor Fry examined in 2019 and thought that there were enough improvements to save lives. But here we are again, finding ourselves in a position where we have to again, be reactionary. And the, the price of change again is black blood. And that's that I have to take a sigh on that because that is, that has been one of the main asks is that we can do this kind of reform um, and consciousness raising without that price, that price that has had to be, uh, the price for so long from the um, from the conversations we had around Tulsa to the conversations we had about many of these interruptions of black excellence that have re resulted in this or the loss of 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 wealth. You know, um, it's it. I, I, I just wish <laughs> I can't say it any different than this. I just wish that we can do this kind of reform without the need um, for, for somebody to be harmed before it, you know, can we get to a place where we mm -hmm. have the forethought to address issues before they become issues? Because there are folks who are losing their lives over it. Uh, you know, uh, I, I was in a conversation just the other day with, um, leaders, uh, in the native community who are, are trying to center healing for, uh, uh around the boarding school issues. That's just come back into the news with us because of what was found in Canada. Um, and we forget that 367 of these boarding schools that were designed specifically to kill native culture, um, were in the United States, 367, 15 of those schools were in Minnesota. And so, you know, I, I, I think I, it, it, it is felt across many different communities and intersections that we only seem to do right um, by necessity. 
as opposed to right by forethought, by thinking through how do we prevent harm from happening in the first place? And I guess that's the kind of effort that I want to start seeing uh, from folks who are at the table, whether you're a power broker or whether you're a community member. Can we get ahead of these things? Yeah, I think that is something so many people in our community are hoping for. Because the reality of being black in Minneapolis is that we are tired. We're tired of change coming at the expense of black blood. We're tired. I'm tired. I'm tired of covering uh, black death after black death after black death and then having to wait months and months and months for a trial to happen on whether or not I can actually call it something other than a killing or a death, <laughs> you know, it, it, it just, it is, um, it's exhausting. And, and it, it is really, uh, frustrating Anthony that we're on episode what, and how many of our episodes have been bearing witness to another black man being killed and oftentimes by law enforcement, um, or another form of injustice against our community. Uh, and so it is, it, you know, that is really at the center, I think, of how this moment will be defined in history is the response. And, and we are still uh, responding to, I feel like largely we're still in a period of response to what happened last year and even what's still playing out this year. How how this moment will be defined in 20 years will be by the reforms, by the legislation, by uh, the change in culture, uh, the change in attitude. It really, if can we dismantle the anti-blackness sentiment that is plaguing our nation? Can we do that successfully in our generation? And and when we figure out whether we can succeed at doing that or whether we're going to fail at doing that. I think that is when we'll understand how this moment will be defined for real in history. So, Ms. Georgia, it's um, I think it's really fitting that you're talking about how we mark this moment for future generations, because we have future generations on the on uh, the show with us today. Um, uh, Naya Trainum and Issa Abdurazak um, are two youth in the Arts Us Center for the African Diaspora's uh, youth leadership program. So they're actually providing and creating and going through um, their own mentorship while they create and put together programs for, for, for others are getting, are getting ready to do so. Um, and so it's great to get their perspectives in here. And so I want to, I want to kick it to you, Naya first. Um, and, and then, and then to Issa, um, you've heard me and Miss Georgia kind of teeing some things up for you. And I just want to check in with you first to say, you know, what reactions do you have to what we've already talked about since you've been listening, um, to what we've been saying, I'll kick it, kick it to you first, Naya. Yeah. So when I heard about, um, uh, her, uh, Darnasia Frazier, Darna Frazier's, um, uncle, I thought, um, at first I thought, wow, that's really sad. But then I thought, well, maybe this wasn't, you know, like an accident, you know what I mean? Like maybe this was intentional because, you know, George Floyd has already, has already been murdered and she was a key witness and, you know, the case. And so I thought maybe this wasn't an accident. Maybe this was on purpose and another tactic to scare, um, black people into not coming out and, um, sharing experiences and just reports and stuff like that. And so that's what I thought at first. And it's really sad to hear, you know, that another one of our black community members have been killed by the police because um, the police department is not doing what it's supposed to be doing 
And it makes me annoyed and angry that no, no there's not a lot of cha- change that is happening. And if it is happening, it's, it's really small. And so I'm not happy about it. And I wish that there was more change. Yeah, it's, it's tough. It's, it's heavy stuff. And, you know, I think it's different when it's not in your community, it's not in your backyard and it's not involving people, uh, who, who look like you, but when, when you're seeing people who look like you be mistreated, marginalized, gaslit, it's, it's hard to grapple with. It's hard to find your words. It's hard to make sense of. And as you too have uh, been living here in this community, I'm curious to know what your experience has been as youth and just watching everything unfold and then seeing where we are today. Uh, do you think that we've made a substantial amount of progress or are you guys like, do you feel good about the way the trial went and where we are? Or do you feel like maybe there should have been more done? Um, I do feel like, I feel like it was great that light was shedded on what was happening and that white people were able to see that this is not just a one-time thing. This has been happening in the community for a long time. And I was happy to see that white people are standing with us. But at the same time, I don't feel like it's enough. I don't feel like with Derek Chauvin, like the 22.5 years was not enough in my opinion. Or I don't know how many years he got. I know it's in the 20 range. I don't think that that was enough. I think he should have got more because if it was the other way around, we know that the other, if a person of color did it, you know that they would have a longer sentence. And so that goes to show the bias in the um, sentencing system and judicial system, in my opinion. And I also feel like, you know, it's, I feel like this, the talk has like began to slow down. Like it's not as, it's not happening as much. It was like, oh, it happened. And now it's, you know, it's over, you know, he's been arrested, but no, it's a consistent talk. And we need to consistently keep talking about it. It's not something we stop talking about, something we keep talking about, even if it gets uncomfortable. Issa, I'm, I'm curious how this, how, not just in terms of the, the Chauvin trial, but, but all these things that have been happening, I'm curious how you and your peers, you and your friends have been talking about and discussing um, these issues. What has that dialogue been like for you amongst just your, your peer groups, other youth? Um, can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah, just, you know, I'm assuming that you've talked, you've had conversations about the Chauvin trial with other friends. I mean, what, what have you and your friends been, been discussing in regards to it? what have been your reactions? Um, a lot of people, have been, a lot of my friends have been talking about how, you know, justice was served. That's what he uh, deserved and all that. But um, to be honest, I don't feel like that was enough. I feel like he should have got way more since he did get um charged for all three. Um, and yeah, I, really, I, I don't really feel like there was there was much justice there. I feel like it was a good stepping stone for like the black community. And um, but I, I don't feel like that was just and I feel like it didn't change much and that this type of racism, this type of unjust things in the community is still going to continue. You know, so there's there's this cycle, right? So so we had we had George Floyd. Yes. And then we had Dante Wright. We had Winston Smith. Um, you know, that that's coming up. And so there's there's this repetition in, in many of us. Many of us in the older generations thought Rodney King was going to be the the it's it, it was going to be much longer. 
And instead, we've had this series of other experiences, you know, from from uh, Trayvon Martin to Mike Brown to Philando Castile. And, you know, I know um, I know that Issa, you you were with us when we walked over to uh, Philando Castillo's Memorial Gardens at J.J. Hill with the Arts Us kids. Um, you know, and you were looking at and listening to younger kids that you were supervising um, react who were who who went to school and had him as their lunchroom teacher. And so the sheer frequency of these happening has to have had some effect. I'm just curious about um, what emotions, what feelings have you have, have been coming up for you as you've been watching this repeat, this, this repetition happen. We, we, we got a handful that thought that we that, that it was going to be it. And you're experiencing this, this multiple times in just a small amount of time. That's gotta be, there's, there's got to be something coming up for y'all, you know, having seen this back to back. I'm curious what emotions you're feeling as you watch this happen over and over again. Right, right. Um, one is causing a lot of anger to see, you know, this cycle kind of just keep on going in. Um, to be honest, it kind of made me lose a little bit of hope for a second and um, really just wonder if like, if that could have been me, because uh, I remember a couple months ago, some uh, instance happened where I got stopped by the police and I was just extremely frightened because this was, you know, right after uh, the George Floyd movement kind of happened. And I was really I was really nervous. I was really scared. And I was really just kind of kind of deep in thought, wondering, like, if that could have been me. And I just I just really feel like. Like there hasn't been much accountability and not much has been changing. I feel as if, you know, I feel at first I was very discouraged and I still am. But at the same time, I, I'm getting angry. You know what I mean? Like, why isn't that? Why is why hasn't this ended? You know what I mean? Why don't we take matters into our own hand? That's what I think at first. But then I realized violence isn't always the answer. But at the same time, when I when um when there was um the protests and when the police station was burned down and all this other stuff happened, we saw that people were like, okay, then now we need to take action so that this could stop. You know what I mean? I think it's just, how do I put it? It's, it's frustrating and it's sad. And it really makes me think, you know, like what, why has this changed? You know what I mean? Like, why does this keep going? Um, and what can we do to stop it? You know? It's enough to just protest, you know, it's enough to, you know, do violence, you know, should we start thinking more strategically, you know, like, should we start taking more off, like more powerful positions like an office and things like that so that we can change the laws and change the way society is structured. You know, so, and I, I'm reminded of our ancestors and uh, how much they fought and how hard they pushed for us to have a more equitable society. And while some would say that uh, we still have a long way to go, what gives me hope, what keeps me centered is knowing that uh, they brought us this far and they passed the baton. And now there is a duty and a responsibility that each one of us have to uh, take that baton and to be the change that we want to see. We're acknowledging that things are not right, that there are systematic injustices that are uh, holding us back. And so as the two of you uh, look ahead to your future, you're both young, you have so much life to live. Are there certain things that you're centering 
um, your focus on? Are there certain goals that you have of things that you're like, you know what, I really want to change this in my community. I really want to go into this career field, um, so that I can be a part of the change I want to see. Are there certain things that you guys have identified, uh, that you would really like to see changed, um, and that you would like to like contribute to changing? So I have thought about investing back into the black community, such as real estate. And, um, I also thought about, you know, becoming a psychiatrist because I know that mental health is something very taboo in our community. And I think that it's important for our, our kids to, uh, and for us as youth to be able to talk about what's going on for us and our feelings and our emotions. I've also thought about, um, like just putting wealth back into the community, whether it's through opening, helping people open businesses and being somebody that has money to give to other people, or whether it's through, you know, creating housing systems that are, that our black communities can get into and have a nice house and be stable. I want to rebuild Black Wall Street. That is definitely one of my hopes and dreams is to do that because it's so powerful to know that, you know, we had all these amazing businesses and stuff, and we were in this wealthy community in Tulsa and, I want to rebuild that. I really want to see kind of more of our black community giving back to each other. Like I don't really appreciate seeing African-American or black people, you know, uh, giving to giving, giving to white businesses, giving to uh, businesses of different minorities and not giving back to us. And I just really feel like it's like, I really feel like it's mandatory in order to build like our community back up and to just really support each other and give each other like a good, yeah, just to start giving back to the community, start supporting our own black businesses and not relying on, you know, uh, the government or anything like that to, you know, for money or any type of other stuff like that. You know, that 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 impulse um, to build collectively is something that is historic. We know that after major moments of um, trauma, of injustice that we have faced, one of our biggest impulses is to build back um, within community. Um, we saw that um, after the end of the Civil War and the period of Reconstruction, we have major movements in building um, Black townships, uh, um, in, in, in building Black household wealth. And, and um, we saw that in the Depression, Right. Um, our skilled labor and ability to to thrive, even though we were absolutely affected by the Great Depression, um, saw huge advances in music and literature um, in Renaissance that happened. We see that after the the civil rights movement and in, in, in uh, the per uh, period of the civil rights movement in the 60s, when we got the Voting Rights Act and we got the Civil Rights Bill passed um, and then there was major, major pushback to the assassination in of course we had assassinations what did we see we saw black power movements where black love and identity was centered we build forward um in those ways and so you demonstrate those impulses by your your responses to miss georgia question or george's question which gives me hope the hope that you are connecting and make the dots to that historical impulse that we've always had as a people so I have this wondering, because we've just come through uh, the 4th of July holiday after having Juneteenth declared a holiday, um, I, I, it's clear to me that w there's some complication. <laughs> um, what do we celebrate when for our Native brothers and sisters, 
There are um, the Fourth of July is a celebration of a country that is responsible for genocide, responsible for for the removal and theft of land. So the Fourth of July is not a holiday that that is is is, is um, something that's revelatory, right? Even though we try to to throw on veterans into the mix to try to make it more more serious, it's a holiday whose independence for many of our groups has a huge asterisk to it. Uh, so much so that Frederick Douglass wrote a speech called What to the Slave is the Fourth of July, celebrating independence in a nation um, that was still holding us in bondage. So our our Fourth of July um, comes with an asterisk <laughs> to it. And so I'm just curious how, Naya, how you and, and Issa, how you um, spent your Fourth of July first and foremost, and then what complications came up for you given we had just had a conversation in program about Juneteenth becoming a holiday and the history of Juneteenth and in in the context of it. So I'm just curious what came up for you on 4th of July. Um I don't necessarily celebrate 4th of July. I just like enjoy being around family, uh being around the community. Um so and uh uh one of just the jokes day off. Right. And one of the jokes that we made is we just called it the second Juneteenth. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so um yeah, that's really all it was. Uh the the fourth of July and the fireworks and all that. We didn't really do that. We just enjoyed each other's company and you know, just you know enjoyed the energy. All right. Naya, what what conversations were you all having on Fourth of July? So I don't celebrate Fourth of July. Um I do uh we do like to gather in family and just have fun and watch the fireworks. Um I don't like the 4th of July because it it centers around independence and stuff like that. And we weren't an independent nation. We still relied on slaves and taking the land of other people. So I don't celebrate it because of that. And I don't feel like I ever will celebrate that. And I won't let my kids celebrate that. And so it's just something that I believe personally. And um, I don't know. I just, I don't like it. Um, I also think that that's when like all the white people get happy and stuff like that. And, you know, like, you know, all this weird stuff happens. Um, so, yeah. Naya, you just, you just mic dropped and I don't even know if you, <laughs> if you realize the mic drop that you just hit, <laughs> you, you, you said, we said it celebrates independence, but we weren't an independent nation. We still relied on slave labor and theft of land. That is, mm-hmm. that's a mic drop. Um, and I had never thought about it like that. That is deep. Well, and I think the truth that Nia just shed light on is what so many of us in our community have been grappling with is like, how, how do we articulate and express why we struggle with celebrating the 4th of July? Right. And then I think that this year, our country expected us, there was this expectation that we would be grateful because Juneteenth had been, you know, declared a federal holiday. And so it's like, well, now you have your holiday and we have, you know, so it's just, but it's still, there's this piece of it that it feels unresolved. It feels unsettled. And I think it's because as Naya pointed out, there is a lack of acknowledgement. You have so many people in this country who are uh, refusing to teach critical race theory 
that acknowledges those facts, that acknowledges the fact that this was stolen land and that this country was built by us. And so I, I started my 4th of July by sharing a recording of the descendants of Frederick Douglass reciting his speech uh, because I felt like it was so powerful uh, to hear them say those words and allow them to resonate and, and really just think about where we are, you know, a century later and still struggling with, you know, the same issues. Um, and so for me, yes, it is a day off. It is a day to be with family in Minnesota. It's one of the first holidays that we have off where the weather is nice. And so of course we get together and we relax, but, uh, the patriotism that other people feel for this country, that affinity that other people feel for this country. I feel like we miss that on the 4th of July. Uh, but I was challenged by a, a new friend, um, Carl Mack, Dr. Car- Carl Mack. He is uh, somewhat of a historian. And he, he was challenging so many of us to, to be proud and to take claim of the contributions that we have made to this country. How many of our inventions are used every single day, how much of these corporations were built on our labor, how much of the advancement of our cultural culture and civilization were made by our sacrifices, right? And so there should, we should be proud uh, to celebrate our country because we made this country. Was it facts, no caps, something like that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, all right, I, stop I'll trying stop. to be I'll cool stop, stop trying up. to be cool um, um, you know one of the things that we always end on in the show and I thank you so much for being able to have us check in with you I w- want to give you a chance to answer a question that we've asked every single guest on the show since the first podcast and that is you know how are you being you in this moment um, and I think it, it's 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 a question that that basically is 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 asking how are you centering yourself in this moment? Given that we've got so many fronts to fight on, so much that we have to do, you've got so many hopes and dreams ahead of you. How are you being you in this moment? Is how we ask the question. You can take it however you want to. So I'll kick it to you first, Issa, and then and then to, to Naya. But how are you being you in this moment? How are you staying grounded, centered? How are you staying, keeping moving forward? Okay, so like a way that I'm being me is that I have no, I have no filter. Like I am proud to be who I am. I'm proud to have my beliefs. I'm proud to be black. I am proud to have a black parent and a black, black mom and black dad. I am proud that I know who I am and that I know where my culture comes from. I know that I like comics and I know that I like to debate and I know that I like to sometimes be right and sometimes I like to listen to other people's ideas and I like that I'm creative and I'm always creating new things so that is the way I am being myself in this world and sometimes people will try to shut that down and it's a matter of being confident in yourself and knowing that I have black magic you know like I am and you know I will always be me and you can't try and stop me because that's who I am Ashay. I like that. I'm gonna steal that. I, I have black magic, right? Um, and 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 Issa, just to 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 you know clarify this question. I know it's it's an open and broad question, and that's and it makes it's made everybody go hmm. Um, but essentially, you know, as we go through these things, these things are difficult. These things are hard. 
Um, and we've constantly, well, it seems like we're constantly on. And so the question is really trying to get a sense of, so that other folks can learn from us, how, how are we staying grounded? How are we staying, keeping our head positive and moving forward through this moment is really the essence of the question. So how are, how are you, you keeping positive and moving forward? What, what fills you, what fulfills you in this moment? Um, consistently reminding myself of my goals and what I want to do in life and, you know, just all my aspirations and, you know, just reminding myself that I am great, that I am powerful and, and, and reminding myself that I am a black African-American boy because um, that is really, that is really, really important because society, you know, being African-American male or actually just being African and African-American period, they'll really try and shut you down. So I just really like to, um, you know, just keep myself focused um, and always remember that so I can really adjust to my surroundings, adjust to different uh, places and all that. So I can really, you know, just be my best, be myself. Miss Georgia, how are you being you in this moment? I am being me by finding balance. I think uh, for so many weeks, uh, if not months, I was uh, very, very focused on uh, making sure that I was changing the narrative and amplifying our stories. And now I have really centered a lot of my energy and effort in finding balance. So my family, we went and got on a boat over the 4th of July weekend and just unplugged. And it was really, really nice. And it was something that I needed because, you know, I think sometimes when you do work that forces you to be in front of so much trauma, you have a tendency to override uh, just so that you can professionally do what you need to, to, to get the job done. Or we have this social pressure uh, because these things are becoming normalized to override our emotion. And so I have been trying to really tap into um, how all of these things that are unfolding in our community are impacting me personally and creating some space where I can decompress and uh, unplug from all of the things, right? Uh, and so for hmm. me, uh, tuning into my family and spending time with my kids is uh, really my happy place. So I've been trying to you know, be more intentional about creating those spaces. For me, um, how I'm saying grounded is, is asking some questions that mm -hmm. have much more complicated answers. I think we are, are, are in a society that's trying to simplify um, something that needs to be complex and thought of on multiple levels. And that simplification is writing out the narratives and reducing the space for marginalized communities to be able to get um, real and, and to be able to get just better answers <laughs> um, to the challenges that are in front of us. And so I think I've found myself grounding in asking more complicated questions because I think we're, you know, when we oversimplify the danger is that we lose the the more complex for the sake of the easy. And, I, and I'm tired of doing and making decisions for the sake of what's easy um, what's nice, what's comp, you know, what's, what's, what's good compromise, um, and, and, and avoidant of conflict. Um, and instead trying to ask questions that force us to think deeper. It, it, and so it, it, it leads me to this wondering as we close out, um, for, for you, Issa and Naya, our future generational space, I'm, I'm curious, you know, what questions do you think we should be asking as a community, as a nation? right now, given all the stuff around us, what are some of the questions that you are wanting folks to explore 
and 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 to go deeper on as we try to try to use these moments to grow our collective consciousness. What are you wishing people would actually talk about that we're not talking about? I'm just curious to hear that here here as we close out our show. I would like people to talk more about. I know that um you know the system is rigged and 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 um society has kind of just portrayed African American people in a certain way, but I do feel like it's not just them and it's also us and we do need to come together as a community. And that's like what I really just want to speak on. I'd really appreciate if, you know, we could just really talk to each other and we could just really like come together as a community. I agree with Issa. I definitely think that we need to talk about how the system is not made for us, it is made for our white counterparts and how we have never been equal in this society and that racism has been changing. It's not gone away. It's just been evolving into something new. And I think that's what we need to realize. And I think that the talk needs to be more. I think we need to have the talk more. And I also think that we as a Black community need to come together and stop you know, being divided. And I think that we should also join with our Latino brothers and sisters and our um, Native brothers and sisters because we're all struggling. And it's just, it's just in the society. And if we come together, we can be more powerful than if we're apart. Oh, no, I just wanted to make sure what something that Naya said was just really heard um, when she said that uh, racism and slavery and all that is not done and how it is just adjusting to this modern society. I just re- I just really wanted to, you know, pinpoint that and just for everybody to focus on that. So that really spoke to me right there. Real talk. Well, <clears throat> Thank you so much for giving us your perspectives and your time. I know you've already had a full day. Um, uh, Miss George, <laughs> Naya and Issa were with me earlier today um, for our Dare to Be Real session um, at the Arts Us Youth Leadership uh, Program. So I just thank you both for for adding to your day because I know you've got a lot of responsibilities with that program. So thank you so much. We we always like to end our show with kind of our our motto. Um, and so I'm going to kick it over to Miss Georgia to close us out. In the words of Dr. Joy Lewis, may the revolution be healing. This has been Bearing Witness with Anthony and Georgia, a part of the Racial Reckoning Project, The Arc of Justice, a journalism project created and supported by Ampers, Diverse Radio for Minnesota's Communities, KMOJ Radio, and the Minnesota Humanities Center with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.